Green Pastures are the weekly devotions published by Vineyard Boise, consisting of four parts, the reading, the reflection, the question, and the prayer. Green Pastures for Saturday, September 23rd. The Due Process of Peacemaking. Today's scripture reading is from Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3 from the Message Translation, which reads, I urge you, Odia and Syntyche, to iron out their differences and make up. God doesn't want his children holding grudges. And, oh yes, Zuzigas, since you're right there to help them work things out, do your best with them. Try not to get bitten. These women worked for the message hand in hand with Clement and me, and with the other veterans, worked as hard as any of us. Remember, their names are also in the Book of Life. Earlier in this three-week walk through Philemon, we mused a bit on the due process of forgiveness, so it's only fitting and proper to muse a bit now on the due process of peacemaking. There may not be a formula for peacemaking, but there is a process for it, and even a due process for it, which will perhaps be as creatively unique as each confrontational situation is unique. And while we can all wax anecdotal, much encouraged, and while we can all wax anecdotal, which is much encouraged, about the process of peacemaking that we've practiced or experienced, we'll focus here on the process employed by Paul, well, at least twice. Witness Euodia and Syntyche, the two warring women in a believing community in Philippi. Yes, all those words actually go together. Believing community, warring women, or warring men for that matter. Where there are humans, there will be conflict. And the conflict between two women who had been past co-laborers with Paul in his apostolic church planting and gospel spreading work had reached Paul's ears in his Roman incarceration. And by the way, that's 800 miles from Philippi to Rome. 800 miles. Even without the amplification of social media, every conflict we have produces ripples. And Paul took the time to compose a four-page letter in which, sure, he accomplished a number of other things, but this is front and center, I like to think, his primary purpose in writing. At least, in my humble opinion. And I've memorized and have been living with this letter for at least three decades now. I see it as another instance in how it's often helpful to read Paul's letters backwards, because starting at the end, where the rubber hits the relational road, you begin to see the real point and impact behind everything else he says, getting to that practical and relational point. Euodia, please. Syntyche, please. That's literally how Paul addresses these two warring women who have been softened up as they listen to this entire letter up to this point in the same assembly, but no doubt with just a bit of glaring at one another from opposite sides of the room. And after softening them up with his personal example in trials, after that Christ hymn of Jesus' self-sacrifice as he looked not to his own interests but also to the interests of others, after the humble example of Timothy and the near-death experience of Epaphroditus, now Paul, through the public reader, turns to the two women separated by the intervening chasm of dispute and hurt feelings and says, Euodia, please, Syntyche, Please, have a meeting of the mind 
as you allow your differences to be dissolved and then iron out the details. And since you just may need someone very much there and hands-on to help you do this, Zizagus, the connector, stand right in the middle, extending a hand to each shoulder and help these women. Then he reminds everyone in the room, but especially these two at odds, of just how meaningful they both are in the bigger God picture of their lives. Did they do it? We don't know. But we still have the letter, so that argues for a solid yes. How about Philemon and Onesimus? Well, the dynamics are the same. An absent apostle who favors neither, but loves both, allows another to lay the groundwork by reading the letter and then deliver the appeal as a matter of family business, drawn the aggrieved parties out of the shadows of private resentments and bitterness and grudges into the light of community accountability and healing. Formula? No. Path or process worth studying and stewarding well? You bet. So as we pause for a moment of personal reflection and prayer, ponder, how would you describe the ideal path or process of helping to make peace between two offended parties? What would you do? What wouldn't you do? When have you seen this work? What happened? Lord, put me in the room. This time with Paul, the would-be peacemaker. Put me in that room far away as he awaits the outcome. And as I sit with him there wearing that same confining chain, teach me how to trust you with all outcomes, as he had to learn to trust. Teach me how to be bold as a peacemaker, as he had learned to be bold. And teach me the difference between unholy and unhealthy meddling and timely and healing peacemaking. Shape me into a little big man who can bear the weight of our human chasms as I too become a divine agent who tears down walls rather than building them. For your mercies.